one of the things that's missing and that people need in their lives is just to be able to laugh because as 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 messed up as the world is it's actually very funny at the same time Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mind Matters. My name is Adam Daniels, and here in the studio with me are Harrison Keeley and Elon Martin. Uh, today, we're just going to be uh, throwing some stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. A uh, bit of a random conversation, uh, just as a, a change of pace. Um, so to start off with, Norm MacDonald died, which was a travesty, I think, because the guy was freaking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, super funny, super talented. His deliveries were incredible. Um, and then you find out that he died of cancer and there was all of the, the jokes that he made about death and dying, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Like that was, it was a, such a stoic acceptance of how, you know, yeah, we're mortal. So <laughs> the the thing that strikes me about Norm Macdonald and uh, is I don't know if there's been anyone else in my like recent memory, any other like famous celebrity who's died who has whose death has prompted such a kind of like revival uh, or just appreciation of his work. Like uh, a lot of people, a lot of musicians and, you know, actors and comedians die and you don't really see people swarming to the internet and finding old clips of them and just it kind of becoming something like that. But um, it's to the point where there are memes about it where, you know, productivity is down 97% because, you know, everyone's just um, binging on Norm Macdonald videos and because I've been doing the same thing, you know, <laughs> Um the YouTube algorithm just knows me so well. <laughs> but I, to be to be fair, I fed the YouTube algorithm by you know searching for Norm Macdonald clips, and now it just wants to give me more and more, and I'm happy to take them because, uh, yeah, he's he's hilarious. But well, before before we were recording, I was telling one one joke about. Um, you mentioned it. You you pretty much gave the the punchline, Adam, but. Uh, Norm Macdonald was on his his podcast and he was telling a joke. He was saying how, you know, we should we should do something about these about these people. You know, we should, you know, you and me to his co-host. You know, you know, we we should kill Hitler. His co-host says, you know, he died like fifty years ago. And Norm goes, what? I didn't even know he was sick. <laughs> and uh, and then that was followed by all the clips of celebrities and comedians saying that about Norm Macdonald. I didn't even know he was sick. And uh, the comments on YouTube saying, well, wow, you know, Norm set up, set up the joke so that after his death, everyone would be saying his punchline, which is, which is kind of remarkable. He's, and the impression I get from listening to people who, who knew him personally is that he was always like that. He was always like what you see, just kind of like a crazy person, right? He was always in character or he, he was never he was just that way. He was a, a funny guy and kind of, kind of deranged in a, in a, in a great way. <laughs> just always making, always making jokes and always being kind of that guy. Well, he reminds me a bit of Bill Murray in that sense mm-hmm. where he was never really out of character. Yeah. Like that was just kind of who he was. 
is this kind of larger than life, like always observant and ready to uh, throw out something that'll just throw you completely off guard. Uh, I was watching one interview with Bill Murray where he had um, the guy asked him, uh, you know, kind of a, what was it? I think it was like, if you could wish for one thing, what would you wish for? Uh, which I mean, that can be like so many broad, it's such a broad question, you know, it can go almost anywhere. And Bill Murray sits there and he's, he thinks for a second, I'd want to, I'd wish to be more in the present moment, which just throws you right, you know, right through a loop because it's not something that you would expect, not from, you know, your average person to be so aware of themselves and mm-hmm. and how people interact and and how people actually are not ever really in their body in the present moment they're either mulling over some past event or worrying about some future event and and missing the moment and that was what bill murray was saying and that approach to life seemed to be kind of what bill murray was about which is very similar to norm macdonald who was just always kind of they're in the moment waiting for the setups. <laughs> and and you can tell this, uh, the anecdote about uh, Joe Rogan too. <laughs> well, before you go there, um, when you mentioned Bill Murray, I was thinking of the film he produced, which was a remake of the Razor's Edge uh, based on the novel by M. Somer- Somerset Mom, if I'm pronouncing that correctly which is about a, a kind of a World War I veteran who goes on this journey of uh, self-discovery in Europe. Was the movie actually called Razor's Edge? Yes, okay. it was. And um, it was a second version of it. He plays the, uh, the protagonist who's in search of himself and for enlightenment. And so, um, at least among uh, guys like Norm MacDonald or... Bill Murray, who's, you know, he, he's such a, uh, you know, we, we've read antics of his in public where, where he's kind of in character at bars, yeah, interacting parties. with people and crashing parties. And yet there's this other side to him that found it within himself to produce a, a movie about self-discovery. And, um, well, he does, the, he's a Gurdjieff guy. Is, is Murray a Gurdjieff guy? Yeah. Well, I guess that shouldn't surprise me too much because um, it's not a great film, but it, it is affecting. And uh, I think it uh, I, I think it says something about his, his depth that you might not otherwise suspect. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's also true of Norm MacDonald, uh, that, you know, he brought an authenticity to uh, his performances that, that were... Um, that were felt by people. Yeah. I think he's one of those people <clears throat> like Bill Murray seems the same way. Well, they're, I think they're, they're totally different in many ways. Like Norm Macdonald is, I think a bit more unhinged in a, I'm not saying that like in a demeaning way, I think it's, it's the most endearing kind of unhinged <laughs> that you can have, but they're in a sense, they're the, some of those special people that seem like they're on earth for the purpose of that. Well, for some purpose. Right. And norms, I think was primarily to primarily to make people laugh, but to laugh on a, 
well, on a very low level and on a very, <laughs> and a very high level, because Norm kind of spanned the gamut of the, the possible jokes he could tell. But you read stories, like you mentioned, of Bill Murray crashing parties and like showing up randomly at someone's wedding and, you know, no one knows, or he doesn't know anyone there and he just shows up and has a good time or just some random party, right? And Norm MacDonald was kind of the same way. Like uh, one of my childhood friends posted a, a thing on Facebook of, of the time he randomly met Norm MacDonald at the, at the airport mm-hmm. and they just, they started talking and, and he asked for my friend's number. And then when they, when they got somewhere, they, they, he invited him to the to his hotel, and they so my friend went and hung out with Norm Macdonald, and they watched football and and chatted for a while, and or like, and then you know he got his selfie, and they talked on the phone. And it's like that's the kind of guy Norm Macdonald was. He just he'd be t- totally open to strangers and um, and have a, a friendly conversation with them. And you see this in some clips too, like on. Uh, um, some of his appearances on Conan where he's talking about the, the, the aide that works for the show that he was talking with and, and he knows her name. And, and again, reading the comments, you, you, you find little snippets like that about how Norm talked to this person's wife, you know, for, for an hour and they, you know, they got to know each other and, and tons of stories about meeting Norm in public and, and things like that. So he's just one of those, one of those characters, one of those, those guys that actually brought a lot of, joy to people's lives. And I think it's, it's that he, well, his death is kind of, it's, I see it as a, an, an interesting thing in the current climate about what's going on where everyone's kind of afraid of death because he, like Adam mentioned, he approached it in a very peculiar way. Um, first of all, he, had a very good idea that he was going to die. He had cancer for what the last nine or ten years, but didn't tell anyone. He knew it was. He know he knew it was coming, and he, in a sense, you know, well, he prepared for it. Like he knew it was coming, and he lived his life the the way he wanted to. He didn't want to make anyone, um, like you know, pity him or feel bad for him. So he just wanted to live his life and then just go out when it was his time and set up a few jokes in the process. Mm-hmm. And if you contrast that, like not many people can do that. Not many people have that kind of um, self-awareness or that fortitude in the face of death. It's it's usually I'm gonna, you know, claw my way back into life and hang on with with everything in me to to you know scrape out a few more days of existence, you know, in this in this earthly realm. Whereas um, it's one of those situations where I think. Well, this is kind of a cliche. Like the harder you hold on to something, the the harder it is to actually keep it. And I think this is the dimension that's missing in a lot of people's lives. Is it's almost you you could call it a religious or like just a a bigger like purpose, a, a, a bigger dimension of purpose in a person's life and a bigger like frame of reference. Because you'll see this in religious iconography and and history about like the martyrs about. And it doesn't have to be in religious. You have murders all over the place, but people who hold something higher, hold an ideal higher than life itself to the point where they're willing to die for it. Contrast that again to the people who are willing to do everything, whether that's screwing over their friends and family or you know, burning up, you know, destroying all their relationships just to, to hang on, just to survive. <clears throat> the, there, there are these two 
two kind of diametrically opposed approaches to life and death. Mm-hmm. And you could, there's almost, you could, there's probably like a science of it. You could approach this empirically as a scientist would and look at these cases, look at these individuals. You've got the people who value, seem to value life the most, value their life the most. And the people who almost seem willing to to throw it away, not necessarily, That's I think that might be putting it too um, extremely, but from from the perspective of someone totally attached to their own life, that's what that person would look like. Like they're just throwing their throwing their life away. Well, how how would why would someone do that, right? Why would someone um, willingly put themselves in a, in a in a situation where they could easily escape it? They could easily escape it by just uh, um, you know you look at Sophie Scholl or any of the any of the people in the totalitarian systems who um, who died rather than give in. Um, that doesn't make any sense from that other perspective. But then again, that the, it's the same for, for the people, you know, that, uh, that will, would sacrifice themselves. They look at the, a person that's willing to just totally debase themselves in the service of what staying alive, um, getting some perks from being a part of some corrupt political system or what it's like, that's, that's something like dirty and, and, uh, kind of incomprehensible from that perspective. And then you've got just all people, all the people in the middle who just have no idea what they're doing. I think that's probably where most of us, um, most of us are at. <clears throat> so you've got a death like uh, Norm Macdonald, just to recap, like knowing you're going to die and then choosing to live in a certain way and kind of like not, not willing to compromise certain things. And, um, this gets back to our shows on stoicism and like the approach to death is like realizing you are going to die. Um, Norm Macdonald had a, a better idea of probably a bit, you know, how much time he might've had left, but no one knows how much time they have left. So it's really the, the, I think that's something that, uh, that people need to think about. <laughs> well, who, who was it or what was it that um, said that, you know, there's nothing that, uh, what is it that that calms a man's mind or focuses a man's mind than knowing that he'll die in the morning? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Hanged? Yeah, I can't remember who said it. But. I want to say it was like maybe a a Gurdjieff thing. Uh, no. Mm, well, no. any any but, at any rate, um, yeah. There's there's a difference between like you could die at any moment, which is like you know any time between you know, now and 50 years from now Mm -hmm. versus being like, you have six months to live. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a very big difference. And part of that is like a, and a, something from the outside, but I think you could maybe get there from like, if you really tried, cause that's a, a stoic thing is memento mori. no, remember that you will die. Um, there's one like stoic podcaster, uh, who's written some books on it. Ryan holiday, who has, uh, he has coins that you can purchase and they have different like stoic sayings on there. And one of them is memento mori and other ones, uh, more fati, you know, love, love fate, um, that you can keep in your pocket and always have it there to remind yourself, like, 
you're going to die one day. Is this really how you want to live the last of your moments? Like if this is how you die, if this is how you go out, is this how you want to be remembered? Is this how you want to... Reminds oh. me of a Norm MacDonald joke <laughs> from his Netflix Netflix special, uh, Hitler's Dog. Uh, people can check that one out. It's probably, it's not fit for, for our audience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great special. Everyone should, should check it out. Um, it was Samuel Johnson, that quote. Oh, was it? Yeah, 18th century. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, because it is, I mean, it's very much in the news, right? Like, you know, you could die at any moment of a virus. Well, like, okay, I guess you can take it a number of different ways, but it's like, how do you, how do you want that to define you? Do you want that to define you? I guess would be a better question because it's like you were saying, like you can, you can struggle or yeah, struggle with trying to hold on to life simply to stay alive. Mm-hmm. But at what cost, at what, what, at what price, like if you are still alive, but you're like essentially dead already, like you don't, there's no creative spark in you that, that does something real or, or meaningful, then like, what's the point? Uh, to me, that is basically like being brain dead hooked up to, you know, life support. Well, so this reminds me of a passage written by Gurdjieff, um, which I think is called The Last Hour of Life. Uh, or or something like that, which is basically, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to leave behind for those you profess to care so much about? And allowing that to be a, a motivator for being uh, alive in the face of the idea that one day uh, or at any time you can pass away. Uh, and I think that the the messaging, uh, the the fear uh, that is being um, uh, drummed into the minds and emotions of people uh, right now, uh, from various corners, um, is is very much uh, it, it's kind of paralyzing, or in its potential, and and serves the opposite purpose, um, or at least manipulates people into caring about others in a very specific, predefined, prepackaged way. So what are the real ways that we can be alive right now and be of, uh, you know, be a light to other people who we want to serve and love and uh, be there for? And so th- you know, this becomes a, um, I think, a, a a reason for living in and of itself, uh, not in any kind of uh, emergency sense, uh, but in a a kind of a an approach to life, an approach to living, an approach to being there for uh, for for others and for things you believe in, and and hope survive. I think before you can even do that, you need to uh, you need to know how to think. And what I mean by that is, and you need, and you need to know how you think. 
and I don't I don't mean that specifically like you as an an individual, but how human nature works and how the human mind works, and how poor it can be actually at reading reality and understanding what's going on and coming to the correct conclusions about things. Mm -hmm. Because, um, well, there's like Lobachevsky calls it conversive thinking. It's like dissociative thinking or like hysterical thinking. It's, it's this process where humans, Peterson talks about this too. Um, humans like feeling good, right? They like the, the, the feeling of knowing where they are and knowing things are safe and secure. They like a, a steady, orderly status quo in their own mind. And then if anything, if anything, as Peterson would say, from the, unmo from the unknown um, impinges itself on that steady, ordered state, creates a bit of chaos, and the, the immediate impulse is to reestablish order. And if that means ignoring a bit of reality, then our minds will do that. They'll be like, okay, no, can't let that piece of information in. Can't let that, you know, that, that blurry spot over there, uh, can't acknowledge its existence because that might upset the, the nice stable order that I've created for myself all these years. And when that happens often enough, then... Well, if it happens often enough and deeply enough, that's essentially what becomes severe mental illness. That's what, uh, that's what, that's a, a way of describing psychosis or, um, or just being completely out of touch with reality is where you, you don't see reality as it is. And you can even see, you can even like hallucinate a different reality that doesn't actually exist. It's just, it's a fake reality that you've created in your mind, like a, like a paranoid schizophrenic, um, or just someone in the throes of some, um, some like temporary, um, hip, uh, psychosis that's come on through some stress in life in order to, and well, with that kind of stuff going on, that's what you've got to work with. So if that's what you've got to work with, then you can't you can't really make uh, an, uh, an effective you can't take action in the world in an effective manner when you can't judge the the reality that you're interacting with accurately. If you think A is B and you approach it as B, then it's not it's not going to react as if it's B it's going to, it's still going to react as if it's a, mm -hmm. um, like you can't just pretend something is something that it's not and expect it to, to react in the way you want it to, or the way you expect it to first, the first thing you have to do is realize, okay, it's not B it's actually a, then once you know, it's a, maybe if you know something about a, you can adjust your, the, your strategy to something that's, um, you know, in line with the nature of a, can't approach it completely differently. And so that's how much most people go through their lives in, in, so we all go through our lives to one degree or another in certain situations is that we don't know what we're actually dealing with. So we, so our actions aren't geared towards actual reality, but some image of reality that we have that is completely different. So you're, so most of the things that we do in a situation like that aren't going to give us the effects that we, that we want or desire or expect simply because we don't know what we're dealing with. 
So if we want to kind of, well, one way of putting this is that like what we'd all want is something like what you were saying, Elon, to be able to have these like these healthy relationships that stabilize us and each other and, and we all get along and we all manage to get through things. It's like, that's, that's great. So, but it's not something you can just like start, right? It's like, okay, you know, from this moment on now, that's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be perfect from now on. And, uh, but no, first it's like, you got to dig all that crap out of your, out of your mind and realize that a lot of the things that you thought you, that you thought you knew about, you don't actually know. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when you go, that's when you take a trip to the rope shop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it's an ongoing process, right? Because, uh, we, there are certain things that we do have some fair idea mm-hmm. uh, exist objectively, mm-hmm. given what we think we understand about yeah. events unfolding and uh, as they affect us personally. And, and so um, it would be impractical to say, okay, I'll, I can, start being an effective human being and caring for those I care about and being, you know, <laughs> great. Once I've, once I've gotten to this imaginary abstract uh, place in myself where I'm absolutely sure of all my uh, decisions and, and correct readings of reality, because it's a process, right? It's not anything that we can, uh, it's something that hopefully we're constantly revising and fine tuning and and working on and uh, and adjusting and uh, and so I would say that um, you know we have certain aims or certain ideals to one degree or another for ourselves and and for uh, the environments that we'd like to create and uh, you got to start somewhere yeah um, and so. Uh, taking it step by step, you know, corner by corner, area by area, uh, I think is, is what we uh, try and do. Uh, When I'm cleaning my room, I, if I, if I look at the whole thing and say, oh, you know, this thing is such a mess and it's imperfect. And, you know, I can't throw up my arms and, and say, it'll, it'll never be the the room I want to sleep in and go to for, for rest. I have well, to, what, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you can actually do that. Elon. You can, you can say like, Oh, this will never, this will never, never be like the perfect thing that I have in my head. And so it, there's just no point in ever actually going through with, uh, well, cleaning but up. But you might or, not want to do that. Yes. <laughs> there, there it is guys. You might not want to do that. You start first with the taking the laundry bag and taking care of that. And then you take the vacuum cleaner and you clean out the cobwebs. And then you, you get a piece of uh, a wardrobe or, or, or some kind of organizing space in the corner where you can pick up all the crap that, that, that seems to uh, you know, propagate itself all around and, and leave it disorganized. The point being, uh, we, we take it piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, to harken back to last week's show with Nicholas Capaldi. He said that, uh, 
you know, well, he was speaking specifically of continuing education classes or courses where you could think of that as, you know, life being a journey. But I think it that stands on its own where you can say that life is a journey of learning. And so if we, if you look at it that way, like, you know, there's no specific endpoint per se, you can maybe have some milestones or some markers that you're looking to, to go towards. Like, you, you know, that you want to go on a journey. You maybe don't, you have an idea of some places you'd like to go on the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you proceed to, to go on that course, uh, reach this marker, maybe a little later than you wanted, uh, adjust course and so on. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, all of these things, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you have to start somewhere. Um, and the, the cool thing is you can pretty much start anywhere. It really doesn't matter. And that's something that, uh, me being me, uh, and the like kind of perfectionist that I am sometimes I'm like, no, I've, I've got to do it perfect. I got to find just the right way to, to start. And, and I have to struggle with myself to realize like you can start anywhere. Like you can start by learning about, uh, psychology and how, uh, the human mind works, or you can start with history and see how people have, uh, done things in the past and how societies have evolved, or you can start with, uh, I don't know, art or music or anything, so long as it's part of a journey and it doesn't become, uh, a means to its own end, then, you know, yeah, just, you know, you can start anywhere and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Um, so long as you have the the right intentions, I guess. Um, so starting from anywhere, and speaking of, uh, you can start anywhere. Um, I never thought I would live to see the day where I thought Nicki Minaj was spouting sensible things, like saying something reasonable or upholding some semblance of sanity. I don't know if that's uh, something you guys want to talk about or not, but. Well, maybe maybe you can just give a little background about her. <laughs> yes, we're, we're prompted all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Nicki Minaj made a tweet or sent out a tweet um, about her sister's or brother's friend in Trinidad some relative's friend um, who had uh, testicular swelling as a result of the uh, the vaccine. That, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> um, There's much debate over there, whether this, this actually took place or not. <laughs> There's much debate over everything. Um, but when you actually go to uh, some VAERS, some vaccine reporting websites, like there are incidences and cases of testicular swelling being caused by vaccine uh, vaccines and the, the ones for COVID specifically the, this is for the UK and the U S that I've seen specifically. Mm -hmm. So we know that this kind of a thing happens. Uh, But, but but regardless of the balls, (laughs) the, 
the thing that stood out was was her um like refusing to give in to pressure yes yeah that's kind of what made her uh, an internet hero for, yes <laughs> for a while it's because like for instance she um I think a journalist had gotten in touch with the relative, like the cousin or whoever it was, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's been sending like DMs to her saying, "Oh, you know, we think we know who 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 this person is, or who you are, or we want to we want to talk to um, talk to the the man in question, basically verify his story." Oh, and by the way, if if um, what was the the threat? If you don't want to, if you don't talk to us or something, then and it was right there in the DM, then we're going to publish your information and by implication, they you know, make, make, make your life miserable. We're going to dox you. So Nicki Minaj <laughs> posted the, the screenshot of these DMs with the journalist's name and, you know, doxed, doxed the journalist, um, which was just like uh, so good because journalists can be so slimy mm-hmm. and, you, and you hear about it. You, you know, you hear the stories and you hear people about... Like you, oftentimes this has happened to Jordan Peterson a lot where he'll talk to a journalist and they just turn out to be a like total snake. And then he, he talks about interacting with them, but here's the, here's the direct message. And like in the, the exact words that this slimy journalist sent essentially threatening this person and just like, what is it? It's like blackmail essentially. Yeah. Like if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this and you're not going to like it. And so it's just been very strange a very strange experience to to see to see Nicki Minaj as the like the latest online hero, the latest um, jukebox hero. Yes, I'm, am I hearing music? Yes, I'm hearing some yeah. some soothing music, music coming from Elan's side of the table. Uh, so <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was what was really interesting about it was the fact that she didn't give in to pressure. And that's something that's so annoying and um, just like I just have to roll my eyes every time like somebody does something that's not, uh, you know, somebody says something 20 years ago and then somebody finds like evidence of it. And then all of a sudden the person comes out now and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to you know, do this, that, and the other. And they totally debase themselves in front of, uh, the woke mob, I guess you'd say. And, and just like, it's totally ridiculous. Uh, it's like, no one has any integrity and that's sad because if you just have a little bit of integrity and you don't go along with it, they can't do anything to you. Not really. Except in, you know, some cases, but it's like, what happened to Gina Carano? Same thing. Was it the same P- thing? Pretty much. I mean, she's been making uh, pro-conservative comments and even uh, analogies to the discrimination that the Jews experienced to the Holocaust with, uh, you know, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated uh, in terms of the kind of... Um, social pressure that unvaccinated people might be experiencing being demonized, being vilified. And, you know, you can argue that, that, uh, we're not quite there yet, but there's certainly something about the, the kind of mass 
hysteria that's being drummed up and propagated against the unvaxxed that she tapped into. And that was the most recent thing that she said. And I think, you know, if anything, uh, there has been such an outwelling of support uh, for Gina Carano uh, since she kind of stood to her guns uh, in defiance of Disney's firing her from the Mandalorian show um, that she's become something of a, uh, a little bit of a hero just for being brave enough to, um, to put things into, uh, common sense terms in, in many cases. So that's also the case with Nicki Minaj, who's not supposed to be saying such things. She's not, you know, this isn't part of the program. She's not one of us. So she has to be, uh, attacked. She has to be uh, brought down and she's standing her ground. And um, what this does is uh, it really presents for a lot of people who may be um, confused about what's going on or at least fearful of speaking too outspokenly on certain issues, uh, that much more kind of confident that what they're seeing uh, or or what they're not being told, that there is something to pay attention to that they're not being informed about uh, or that they might not understand in quite as an objective way as Nicki Minaj or Gina Carano. So these people are, um, they're, they're presenting a, you know, they're generating a little, a little truth in the midst of a lot of, uh, a lot of, bullshit and propaganda and fear well the 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 absurd thing for me about this situation is that there's nothing there's nothing remarkable about like gina carano or Nicki minaj or or even their tweets it's like in an ordinary world it would just be another like random thing like i mean you'd ignore it because there's i mean not that much not that much content in there it would just be just another random tweet it's even kind of dumb, you know, there's some, some, maybe some truth in there, but you'll be able to find better tweets and, you know, people making the points in better ways or, or whatever. But it's just that there's such a, such a lack of any of that, that these two, like these two tweets or, you know, as representative of a larger sample are, are the, are the ones that stand out because some, there's something about the current social climate that makes that like verboten, you know, you're, you're not allowed to say certain things. So what would have even just five or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. what would have, what wouldn't have even counted as a political statement, you know, now becomes something of grand significance, which, which is what makes it so funny at the same time, because <laughs> I remember seeing that Nicki Minaj tweet for the first time. And, and I was seeing like the quote, we, quote retweets of it people just being like wtf like this or just lol wtf it's like it's just it's one of those one of those matrix moments where it's like what what kind of world are we living in because it's just it's just hilarious mm-hmm. and then coming back so coming back to norm Macdonald, i think that i think that's the thing that's one of the things that's missing and that people need in their lives is just to be able to laugh because as 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 messed up as the world is, it's actually very funny at the same time, um, and it can be like gallows humor funny. Like you can mm-hmm. you can like 
look back at it after you've you've died and you've watched the you know the millions of people who've passed in the or the billions of people who passed in the great catastrophes of you know the 2020s and then be like man you know that that really sucked but at the same time it was pretty funny you know <laughs> when you when you look at it when you really look when, at when it. you really look at it it's it's actually pretty funny um because there's a lot to laugh at uh but it, it, it requires a certain distance, I think. Uh, it, stepping out, you know, trying to step out of the situation. Just like you can laugh at yourself, right? You can laugh at yourself when you do something really stupid. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you, you know, it, ideally you, you should be able to. Um, because that's kind of what humanity is, is. is just a really, for the most part, dumb species doing stupid things. And, and when you look at it, that's, it's actually pretty funny. And that's, that's why a guy like Norm MacDonald is, is so funny too, is because he can find the humor in, well, he, I haven't been able to pinpoint all the ways in which Norm MacDonald is funny because he's funny in most of the ways in which a person can be funny. But, uh, but one of that, one of that is, well, he, he does laugh at himself. Mm -hmm. Um, he plays a role. He presents himself in a certain way. Um, one of the great things I heard him say is he was ripping on Bill Maher for being just a conceited asshole, like who's so concerned about seeing himself as being very smart when he should just be a comedian. Like comedians don't look good when they're trying to be smart. The best comedians are the ones that actually like present themselves as being kind of like subpar intelligence. And, um, and that's, you can tell that's what Norm does. He's an extremely intelligent purpose, person, mm-hmm. but he presents himself as a, as a simpleton, like, and, and as a guy that doesn't quite know what's going on. Um, like in a joke where he's talking about his vegetarian friend who's, and she's telling him uh, you know, all the reasons why you shouldn't eat meat. And he's like, you know, and, and she's right. You know, I agree with, she has all the answers. She has all the reasons. Me, I, I, I just like pork. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the way to, to, to diffuse the situation, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got. Yeah, those are all great reasons, but um, yeah, I guess I'm. There's just something wrong with me. I just, I just like pork. You know. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that speaks to Norm Macdonald's tapping into the archetype of the fool, mm-hmm. uh, which is someone who is, you know, willing to look really silly and foolish in order to bring out something that uh that's necessary to see and uh you know it's it's a path it's a it's a valid path uh if it gets people to think on on different levels and perhaps see things that aren't so obvious to begin with uh so that's what i'm that's what i'm getting uh from uh his his kind of his whole career that's what i'm i'm sort of seeing about it and um yeah i mean it's cliche but uh laughter is terrific medicine and if it's informed by something that's uh that's true and that will allow us to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously um you know where we sound like i don't think that that joking about mass casualties is any humor in it whatsoever. You know, you, you, you can't be that serious about everything. Not, not that uh, mass tragedy is something to joke about per se, but um, that was my attempt at a joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I landed, it didn't land. <laughs> I, I was making an attempt at 
out of humor. And I just, I had that kind of, you know, the, mm. that, that English uptight, <laughs> upper crastic, uh, you know, upper crustic, <laughs> upper crustic kind of upper crust, upper crustocratic. That's that may be a, a more uh, accurate description of it. They just, you know, just I had to exercise it a little bit. Yes, yes. So, well, you've got. Um, speaking of funny things, uh, there was one uh, tweet or like Facebook meme or something where uh, basically summing up kind of uh, government policies uh, regarding um, vaccinated and unvaccinated and how we need, there was one, I think it was one of the uh, Australian uh, governors, prime ministers, whatever they are, who was talking about how they needed to protect the, the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And so they basically summed it up by saying, we need to protect the protected from the unprotected by using the protection that didn't protect the protected from the unprotected. And you're just like, yep, that pretty much sums up the, uh, the argument. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's some perspective on why, why it's funny because, um, on Twitter, I found an, someone had posted an excerpt from a book, a screenshot of a book on, the medical treatments that were given to like one of the English kings back in the day, you know, uh, I don't know when it was, might've been like the 1700s or something. And so this, or maybe it wasn't English, but you know, some European king who was sick and just all the things that the doctors were doing to him, like uh, they were putting, um, you know, like bird poo crusts like on his head to, to push the humors down, down to his feet. And then a bunch of nasty stuff on his feet and, you know, draining like 10 ounces of his blood, of course, bleeding. And, uh, there was like two paragraphs worth of just crazy ass stuff that these doctors were, were doing this to guy. And then the next paragraph is, you know, understandably he died, you know, <laughs> a few days later. Um, the, the point of the person writing the book was, was that, these doctors had to give the appearance of doing something mm -hmm. because if they didn't, if they didn't do anything, then the, the guy, you know, the King dies and it's like, well, why didn't you do anything? It's obviously your fault. But the fact that they were putting so much effort in and using all these techniques and, and stuff, it just shows how hard they were trying. They were throwing every, you know, using every tool in their toolbox to, to fix this King and to make him well. But looking back on it, you know, several hundred years later, it's just, it's, it's Monty Python esque, like literally you could, they could have made a sketch of this yeah. and it would have been hilarious, but it, it actually really happened. And um, so to, to gain some perspective, just look back, imagine yourself a hundred years in the future, 200 years in the future, or like, like I said earlier, you're dead and you're looking back down at the, at the, the comedy that was your life. Um, and just gain that perspective to, uh, to, to see just how, how ridiculous it was. And, uh, and really how, how ridiculous you were too, because, because uh, you are ridiculous. I just imagine uh, half the time uh, when I'm looking at the news, if I'm just scrolling through, you know, news feeds, uh, I just have that. That's <laughs> 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 just going on in my head as I'm scrolling through, just like, wow, this is a bunch of crazy people doing crazy stuff. And that's like, you're saying, that's just. <laughs> That's just humans being humans. Got to laugh at it. Otherwise you go crazy. And then it just makes you even more funny to anybody who's got like uh, mm -hmm. some distance of perspective. Mm -hmm. So 
Yes, and laugh at it because otherwise, you know, otherwise the only alternative is to make a trip down to the rope shop. And that's a short trip. Mm -hmm. Next to the rickety stool <laughs> shop. Elon <laughs> <laughs> is silently disapproving of, of no, when no, he re no. recounting I'm, this Norm Macdonald joke. It's just too dark, right? It's well, just, some, things are, some things are just too dark. I Actually, you've... Uh, and mentioning Monty Python was uh, reminded of a good many uh, bits that they've done, you know, like with, you know, the Pope playing soccer against Immanuel Kant and <laughs> all these, you know, all these yeah. like, like historical figures, you know. Wasn't there like a, a, the competition, like it was like a spelling, no, uh, like a trivia competition with like Marx and, oh, yeah. and Lenin and all these people on stage? Mm -hmm. kind of yes. And, uh, like it's that perspective um, applied to, you know, the, the figures of the day, you know, the Klaus Schwab's and the Joe Biden's and the, and the, the various uh, political hacks and, and. How can anyone take Klaus Schwab seriously? <laughs> like people have seen how he dresses, right? <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a. He looks, no, he it just came to mind. He looks like. He looks like he's from that the the TV miniseries V, you know, when it first came out, like mm -hmm. one of the one of the the reptiles, mm -hmm. but in their human form, ah. with the like the the funny shaped outfits. Like he he is a science fiction villain. Oh yeah, like James Bond, James Bond sci-fi sci James Bond villain, for sure. And uh, and you see his book strategically placed on the bookshelf of like, you know, any like politician when they're, when they're speaking on TV, there's the great reset right there. And you hear wow. about what he's talking about and what it, we need a great reset. I mean, just <laughs> listen just to the, the guy, just the voice. <laughs> he sounds like a villain. How is this not just being laughed out of the room, you know, because he looks like a villain. He talks like a villain. Uh, you you get past the you know the fact that he sounds like a villain to hear what he says and his plans are villainous you know you will own nothing and be happy about it yes, you know, uh we're, we need to restructure the entire economy and this all that it's almost like he's a troll like it, it would be the most epic troll if he were <laughs> if he were <laughs> pretending to be like a mass like a, like an evil mastermind. Mm -hmm. And then if he were to reveal that it was all an act, you know, I could respect that, mm -hmm. but I don't think that's the case. I think he actually takes himself seriously, which makes it on the one hand, even funnier, but also like even sadder that, that he actually takes himself serious. He actually thinks he's an important person. You know, mm -hmm. I wonder what his like morning routine is. And he gets up in the morning, does he brush his teeth and with his, and now I'm going to brush my teeth. Does he, I mean, does he narrate his, his own life? Does he, does he plan schemes while he's brushing his teeth? What does, what's the life of a master criminal mastermind like? I don't know. Do they put their pants on one leg at a time or do they have minions? No, I think he, he mustn't sleep. Like he's just... He's a robot, actually. He's a robot, so he's just 
It's just always, always Klaus Schwabing. <laughs> he enters a little chamber and yes. <laughs> kneels down before a hologram and says, what is thy bidding, my master? <laughs> and then like you have a, a big, you know, hologram of Kamala Harris or something. Yes, he's got his own Klaus Schwab pod. Yeah. Yes. The Schwab pod. The Schwab chamber. <laughs> of fortitude. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Something about Klaus Schwab and and uh, and someone else. Uh, you mean the... Um, the kneeling on one knee and asking, you know, what is, what is thy bidding my master? No, no. Before that, you were making a point and Klaus Schwab was part of the point, but, uh, I can't Uh, remember what, well, maybe just that it's important that we not take him too seriously to balance out the amount of seriousness with which he takes himself and the numbers of people in the W E F which should be the WTF. <laughs> the WTF Foundation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who take the, you know, who take his, his teachings and his philosophy and his technocratic vision with such, you know, seriousness. Well, that's, uh, I would like to level that accusation to all technocrats. Mm-hmm. You know, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, uh, the IMF, uh, anybody who thinks they have some kind of like grand master plan, like you're taking yourselves way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like you honestly, like you're so, you have so much hubris. You think you're the one, the grand one who knows all and can right all of the wrongs of human civilization from eons past. You're the, you're, you're God. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're James Bond sci-fi villain. <laughs> We'd like to thank Klaus Schwab for <laughs> sponsoring this episode for us. Uh, you know. Do you think we could get their like sponsor sponsorships? Like uh we'll just have little Oh god. Yeah, we could put like his a book little, on our shelf. Have a little figurine. Oh, Klaus Schwab action figures. Oh. So, internet? Please. I think I think you're on to a multi-million dollar idea, but we won't make any money off of it and we'll be happy. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, everyone, thank you for joining us on this uh, very roundabout tour of our minds and death, stuff. death, <laughs> Schwabs, and um, what was the third thing? Taxes. Yes, death, death, Schwab's, and taxes. Yeah.
Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll call the show. And Norm MacDonald, that, he was the third thing. Okay. Yeah. There so yes. thank you for joining us on this roundabout tour of Death, Schwab's, and Norm MacDonald's. Um, Norm MacDonald's taxes. And Norm MacDonald's dog's taxes. Um, thank you all for joining us. Uh, hit like, subscribe, share it around the social spheres. And Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's balls. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicki and Minaj. That. And that. <laughs> um, thanks for tuning in. Like, subscribe, share, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.